This is the Borderless Podcast. Let's get straight into it. We all know there's plenty of opportunity in regards to how China and Southeast Asia is growing at a rapid pace. Um, do you see Australian companies taking advantage of this growth? No, and nothing much has changed in 25 years. <laughs> and so whilst Australia was a sophisticated market, certainly my impression was, um, coming to Australia from Asia and talking about Asia, people were interested, but there wasn't a great deal of action. And in fact, I gave up for a while and started doing some domestic things. Uh, but uh, in the last 15 years, I have taken people to China. I you know, have been out speaking about China uh, and Asia and the fact we're living in the Asian century and Australia is a big part of that. But, but really, I, I'm still pretty disappointed with the progress because if you take out you know, iron ore and coal and education, if you take that out of the mix, our exports to China are pretty small. Really? Okay. And uh, we really have a long way to go. And why do you think that is? Why do you think Australian companies haven't really taken or gone on board this train or rocket ship or whatever you may call it? Well, I suppose there's lots of reasons, but I think the main reason is that Australia is a very conservative country. I've come to realise, really, okay. that it's very difficult to get people to change their minds, to change their attitudes. Mm -hmm. And although they might sort of read about it and think, yes, we should do that, I think it's not quite there in their hearts. And we have to make changes in Australia to, to create more diversity within our business communities, not just business, but also the politics and media and all the other influences that are out there. Um, and I think it's only when we can start doing that that we'll start seeing more uh, deeper engagement and more confident engagement with Asia. And we need to get on with it because we're in, you know, we're 20 years into the Asian century and I don't feel we're really getting anywhere at the moment. Are there any examples of, I guess, Australian businesses? I know we've, there's companies like, you know, A2 Milk, Blackmores that have, you know, sort of, you know, taken advantage of this opportunity. Uh, have you seen any other companies, you know, do well in Asia, I guess? I think that some of the beef exporters are doing pretty well, mm. but I think you need to take out the commodities because I think it's taken for granted that Australia has a strong story mm. in hard and soft commodities. Um, but so I think that the, well, I think the only real success story you could point to away from the companies you've mentioned mm. is probably the King and Wood Mallison's uh, merger. Yeah. So you had Australia's largest and oldest law firm. You had China's largest and oldest law firm coming together to create a law firm which is not based on any product or any commodity or any, you know anything that we can export it's really about trying to bring together these two cultures mm -hmm. to provide services on both sides and i think that's a very interesting case study of australia china collaboration that's a good point and where should australian companies be where do you think the biggest opportunities in asia and in china are well, the big four are food, you know, clearly premium food. We can supply, you know, high-end premium food to a fast uh, emerging middle class in Asia. Definitely, we should be doing more of that. And then the big three services sectors, which are healthcare, education, and tourism. And we're, we are starting to see some success in tourism, although I think we can do a lot more. Um, the healthcare and education sectors are also strong and, and, and very capable as well. So it's in those four areas. And then, of course, you've got the whole prof professional services sector, which includes, you know, legal accounting, um, and one area which I think gets overlooked, which is, um, uh, you know, a, a function, if you like, of the one-child policy in China, is the aged care sector. You know, we have a pretty good story in aged care, not as good as we'd like, but it's pretty good. China has a major um, aging population. Mm -hmm. I think there's a great opportunity there, and it was certainly recognised in the free trade agreement. Mm -hmm. 
And with the Australian companies that you've sort of consulted and advised with, what what are the main difficulties they have going into Asia? Um, is it cultural, language, or is it more than that? Well, there's all those things. Language is obviously often a problem and cultural misunderstandings. But actually, the main challenge we have is that we're a very small country, Australia, you know, 25 million people, you know, we've got this vast land, but really, we're, we're, gen- we're a very small country. So whatever sector we're in, even our biggest companies are very small compared to Chinese companies. And I tend to work in the SME space. So, you know, the SME uh, sector in China is defined as a company that has 50,000 employees or more. You know, in Australia, there's a very small number of companies that are anywhere near that size. Most of our SMEs have less than 10 employees. So when you're taking a small business to China, you're dealing with a very small situation compared to a very big situation. And finding the right way of putting that together is very complex okay. and difficult. Um, as you mentioned, Australian corporates are quite conservative when regards to you know diversity or expanding overseas. Um, can you go a bit deeper into that topic? Yeah, sure. Well, um, McKinsey have done many studies on the topic of diversity, and they've proved beyond any doubt that the companies that are most diverse are the ones that produce the best results. And of course, the reason for that is that the more cultures, the more views, the more backgrounds, the more ideas that are flowing around, the better it's going to be in terms of decision making and strategy development and moving forward. So there's no question that diversity equals profit. Um, and it, there's also very clear that those companies that are not diverse end up in the bottom quartile. So it, it's absolutely essential for Australian companies to become more diverse. But the issue here is not necessarily the diversity of the organization because there are many Asians working in Australian companies. So they're all down in the IT department and the finance department generally. So the problem we have is not just the company itself being diverse, but the leadership team being diverse. So we've got to get the people out of the finance department, out of the IT department, get them up into the senior management ranks. And that's where it gets difficult because there's a blockage that takes place somewhere halfway up the organization where when there's two people going for the same management job and one of them looks more like the senior leaders, the chances are that it's going to be them that goes forward. So we have to address that from above. We have to get leaders understanding a the importance of diversity b uh, getting comfortable and curious about asking questions of people of diverse backgrounds um, that can actually um, contribute to the ideas that are going forward to the senior levels Um, and and three we've got to create an environment where people feel comfortable about pushing themselves forward because at the moment I sense that they don't so so my push strategy and seriously if I haven't made a difference in this area when by the time I die I'll be really disappointed because this is something that's really important to me my my strategy is to go into senior organizations and start talking to them about ideas that have worked in Asia in multinational companies and applying some of those ideas to companies here in Australia and I'm determined to do that do you think from what you've seen do you think companies are getting on board with this or has it been very very slow in your opinion oh i think they are getting on board but it is slow Mm. it is slow and the results speak for themselves so it is slow um but i I don't think anyone needs much convincing on the issue of diversity Mm. the problem is not persuading them that diversity is good Mm. the problem is persuading them that diversity needs to exist at the top not just in the middle and the bottom uh so what's actually stopping the senior leaders from you know hiring someone from a different background or different diversity. Is there any specific barriers? Is there a multitude of reasons? Well, my feeling is 
that having been here for 25 years, that there is a level of conservatism uh, which comes to some extent from the white Australia policy, which means that, you know, if you don't like the football, if you don't drink beer around the barbecue, and I know this is very simplistic, but people like to work with people that they feel comfortable with. And if you want a diverse organization, you've got to promote people that you have nothing in common with, that you're not going to have a beer with, and who you're not going to go to the football with. And <laughs> Australia, being the wrong end of the world for many years, many centuries, or has, has to some extent not had to deal with this. Now we do. But if you go to America, American boardrooms, American corporates are becoming a lot more diverse, even though they had similar issues. Um, and we're now in the Asian century. We're no longer away from where the areas that matter we have that we have to address this and i think that most organizations know that the problem is now giving them the confidence the tools the knowledge the skills um and the and the curiosity to start promoting people quicker mm -hmm.